Welcome to another episode of Believing God's Promises, where we don't just read the word, but believe what it says. All right, so we are doing the third chapter in the book, which is how is a sinner like me worthy and valuable? How is a sinner like me worthy and valuable? Now, it's interesting because when we are a new creation in Christ, we are actually no longer a sinner. We're no longer under the curse of sin, right? We've talked about that. So why would I put how is a sinner like me worthy and valuable? The reason I put that as the title is because I have talked to Christian after Christian after Christian that have felt like they were still a sinner, like that was part of their identity because they still sin, because they still messed up, because they still fall short. And so this was just simply a way of relating to people that maybe didn't understand that concept of being no longer a sinner, but being a saint, right? So how is a sinner like me worthy and valuable? And this is something that I think that I probably struggled with out of all the identity issues. I probably struggled with this the most. And the reason is, is because I was raised in a family. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Austin, Texas, and my dad made very, very good money. He made a very good living. He worked very hard. He sacrificed a lot. He gave up a lot. And he he didn't put it on me, but he, he taught me in a sense that in order to be successful, you need to do A, B, and C. You need to go to school. You need to make sacrifices. You need to work. You need to push through. You need to run it off, things like this. And some of those things, and I want to stop for a minute because some of those things are not bad. Okay. I think sometimes in the church we're told, well, it's bad if you're determined or if you're focused or if you're, you're driven, right? That is not bad. Jesus was very driven. It's what got him to the cross, right? But it's being led by the Spirit in that, that we need to be driven. It's being led by the Spirit in that, that we need to be focused, that we need to be able to have that mission at hand and in our mind and push towards it, strain towards it, push through things that are difficult, right? But we don't push over people. But in my family, my father, he was an amazing dad, and I miss him. He passed away. If you guys know my story, he passed away. That's actually when I gave my life to Jesus. But my dad, he really did push me a lot. He pushed me a lot to do a lot of things. And I got to the point where I got very rebellious and all that. But in my head, as a child, my worth in value was up here. It's like, well, if I don't go to college, if I don't finish college, if I don't get a certain kind of job, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, my worth and value was caught up in those things. If I didn't do those things, I didn't have worth. I didn't have value. And and this is how the world works, doesn't it? Now, I will say, just in my dad's defense, later on in life, he gave up everything. He moved from Austin to Dallas. He went to Christ for the Nations, and he was going to go over and be a missionary in Israel because he finally got that. He finally got that being a workaholic and having everything wasn't didn't make you more worthy or more valuable. That's not, he finally got it. And it was really interesting to watch. That's a whole nother story, but he finally got it. But in my head as a kid, that's how I was raised. And so I always tried to do that. I always tried to work harder at getting things and and I couldn't ever attain, I could never get to that point of perfection, right? Because in order to be valuable, you have to do this. Well, I couldn't because I was just so jacked up. (laughs) And, And I think that part of it was God didn't want me to because he knew that he had a different plan for my life, right? My, my dad always told me I was going to be the surgeon of the family. I was going to be the doctor of the family. I was going to carry the family's name and make something of myself. And that was a lot of pressure on me. Again, love my dad, but that was a lot of pressure. 
That was a lot of pressure. And that's the same pressure that the world puts on us today, don't they? We see this everywhere. Have you guys ever heard of that? Maybe in elementary school. I think it was in elementary school. We did this little project where it was like, if there was to be, they didn't say the zombie apocalypse, but that's kind of what I think of. It was like the zombie apocalypse. And there was an island that could only hold 20 people. And we had to pick the people that would get to go there. They, and then we'd go through and we'd talk about, well, we need a doctor and we'd need this person. And it seems like we put a money tag, we put a value on people. Well, if you're just a commoner, if you're just out washing windows or a janitor or um, delivering, well, you're not needed. You don't have any value. You don't have any worth. So you wouldn't be able to go to this island, right? We've heard of things like that where we think, well, the president would need to and this person. And I get it to a point. I mean, you'd want a doctor there, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Everything's organic. You could probably figure it out. But I wouldn't want a jerk doctor. I'd want a nice doctor. I'd go off of how nice they were. I don't know. I wouldn't get picked, though. Um, but anyway, my point being is that the world does that. They put a worth and a value on us. And if we allow ourselves to, then we begin to walk in that as well. We begin to look at the things that we've done, the things that people have done to us, the things that we've said, that people have said to us. And we begin to measure up against those things. And, and our worth and value is based on that. It's based on what we've done and all of these other things. And the truth is, is that our worth and value is based on whose we are, not what we do. On whose we are. We are children of God. Guys, we're children of God. Like, that is so cool. I am a child of God. God, the creator the maker of the heavens and earth. I am a child of God. I'm a daughter of the king. You are a daughter of the king. There are people watching. You are sons and daughters of the king. That is amazing. That is something to be proud of. That is something to be excited about, right? And, and we can't look at it the same as, as we look at it in the world. We just, we have to separate. We are in the world, but not of it. This is what this is talking about. And we have to renew our minds and we have to constantly fight because the enemy wants to come in and he wants to tell you that you're not good enough that you're not worthy, that you're not valuable. And he wants to crush you down and he wants to depress you and he wants you to have anxiety and he wants you to fall apart so that you don't go out and do what God is calling you to do. And so tonight, I'm going to quickly go over again two. I don't know what this number two is, why there's two points. I usually do three to five, but we're doing two. Two things. This is two things on how to walk in our value and our worthiness in Christ. How to walk in our value and our worthiness in Christ. Number one. Mm, this is so big. Stop comparing yourself to everyone. We have got to learn to stop comparing ourselves to everyone. Let's turn to John 21. So we're going to read in John 21, 18. Last week, I talked about how Peter denied Jesus three times. This is right after Jesus reinstates Peter. We're going to read what Jesus says to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So here Jesus pretty much tells Peter, you're going to die for your faith. 
the stretched out arms. How did Peter die? Upside down on a cross, right? With his arms stretched out just like Jesus. Now listen to this. This is pretty funny how Peter reacts. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. That was John, by the way. The disciple whom Jesus, I just think I would probably not get along with him so well. Because he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that just really aggravates me because Jesus loves me. And I don't know. See why Peter says what he does. So anyway, it says, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper table and said, Lord, who is going to betray you again? Anywho, moving on. Verse 21. (laughs) When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to die with your arms stretched out. You're going to die for your faith, Peter. And, and instead of Peter, like, reacting in a different way, what does he do? He's like, well, what about him? I, I don't know. I, that's not fair. Like, what about him? How is he? It's almost like you can hear Peter wishing that John was going to die. I think he would have been calmed down if, if Jesus was said, oh, yeah, he's going to die like that, too. But let's listen to how Jesus reacts. Jesus answer, answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me, right? I mean, he just calls him out right then and there. He's like, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is what he says to him. This is how he reacts to him. But when I love this part, how Jesus says, what about him? Because that is so like us, isn't it? Well, well, what about her, God? I mean, I've been at this company and I've been slaving away and I've been giving up everything for you, Lord. And I've been serving here in my job for 30 years and she just got here and she got promoted. What about her? Well, what about him, God? It's not fair. Like he has a YouTube channel and he's like an overnight sensation. He has like 5 billion followers. I have five, Lord. And it's because I, I bribe my kids into watching me. Lord, what, what about him? That's a true story, partially. <laughs> partially, I did bribe them into subscribing. But we do that, don't we? What about her, God? Why does she get to eat five pieces of cake a day? And I look at cake and I gain 30 pounds. Like, I don't understand. What about her? It's like we want other people to experience the things we're experiencing. And in that, we're comparing ourselves to them, aren't we? And when we compare ourselves to other people, what are we doing? We are setting the standard of our worth and value where they're at. Mm. We are setting the standard of our worth and value where they are at. We're saying in order to be worthy, in order to have value, I have to be the manager of this company. In order to have worth and value, I have to have 5 billion uh, likes or 5 billion subscribers. In order to be valued and worthy, are we getting it? I have to have a big business. I have to be successful. I have to have 50 doctrines. I have to go to school and finish call. I have to do this. And whenever we compare ourselves, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not looking at our worth and value anymore as to who God sees us as being, who he's called us to be, who we are, sons and daughters. That's who we are. That's where our worth and value is, but we're changing it and we're making it about the world and what we've done. That's not good. We need to stop doing that. We need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. And I struggle with it too. I know the other day I was sitting there and I was like, man, I was listening to Stephen Furtick and I was like, he's so cool. He can like do music and preach. I was like, God, that'd be so cool. I could like open up with a song. We do some praise in here and I could preach and I could end with a song and we could do worship and all that. And, and I found myself to 
start comparing myself. And I was like, what am I talking about? Like, I am not called to sing. And I have to accept that. And I have to be okay with that. But see, what I've noticed is that in the church, what happens if we look at other things and we look at other giftings and callings and things that people are doing, and we begin to think that what they're doing is more important. Maybe they're leading a, a big group and maybe we want to do that, not because God is calling us necessarily, but because we want the glory. Or maybe they're up preaching on stage and we want some of that. Oh, I'll tell you right now, doing what I'm doing is, there's a lot that goes into it behind this. There's a lot that I didn't even know. I didn't even know when I started this because God couldn't show me because I probably would have been like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, because it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and people don't see that. They just see you up on the stage. Maybe you're looking at a worship pastor or, or you're looking at someone else in the church and their giftings and their callings. And you think, well, if I just had that, then people would see me. I would have worth. I would have value. And that is so far from the truth. I think that's part of the problem is sometimes we start to do that and then we gripe and complain because we're struggling in that. Me coming up here and doing this, I, I work really hard and I put a lot into it, but it's not like difficult. It's just like, oh yeah, God says go and I go and he says preach and I preach and he says say this and I say that, right? It's like this flow to it because I'm being led by the spirit. But when we're trying to do something because we want the glory and we want to feel worthy and we want to feel valued, then God is not in that with us. There's not the grace in there for us to be able to do do what God is calling us to do. And so if we just step back and say, okay, God, I'm here. Use me. Then God will show us. He will lead us. He will guide us. And we can step out into those things. Because again, each one of you has an amazing calling, but the enemy's trying to stop you. And he's going to use this comparison thing to get you if you allow him to, but refuse to give in, refuse to believe the lies and trust that no matter what, that God has an amazing plan for you. And then everybody else can kiss it, right? I don't know if that's appropriate, but I'm saying it. <laughs> everybody else can kiss it. I don't care what anybody else thinks, right? Which leads us to number two. And this is so important. What do you think it is? Number two, we need to learn to walk in freedom from people pleasing. Mm. People pleasing. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval? I love how Paul puts that. The approval of human beings or of God. Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to still please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love that. Paul is literally, there's false teachers in the church and they're trying to say that he is a people pleaser, that he's doing things for the approval of men. And he calls it out and he says, guys, you cannot be a God pleaser. You cannot be a servant of Christ. You cannot pick up your cross every day and follow him and please people at the same time. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to do. And I love that he's calling that out. And that's the truth, isn't it? We, now, I want to stop and we need to understand the difference in people pleasing and loving people, right? Because as Christians, we'll talk later on in another chapter about our purpose being to love God and love people. We are called to love people. We are called to serve people. Sometimes that's sacrificing, right? It's giving up things that we want. That is good. But why are we doing it? What are our motives? Why are we helping that person? I think whenever we go to the Lord and we say, God, search my heart, then he'll begin to show us if we're doing it so that we can look good and feel good and, and get those good kudos back and, and, and 
because we care so much what people think? Or are we doing it because we're genuinely trying to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and God is leading us down that path, right? So there's a big difference between the people-pleasing and loving people. But it breaks my heart because, again, the enemy is going to sucker us into pleasing people in the name of God, right? And Paul's like, you can't do that. Even in the church, I've seen it. In unhealthy leadership, bringing people in and manipulating them and trying to talk them into doing things and trying to make them think that because they're a leader, because of what they're doing, because of this or because of that, they try to butter them up and, and then they say, oh, okay, well now you need to serve and they'll, they'll serve them to death. And people leave the church. They're like, I'm too burnt out. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't live like this anymore. And that is not okay. And, and I want to be careful that I never do that, right? Because me being my personality, I get it. There are times that I could easily run over people and cause people pleasers to fall into that trap. But at the same time, on the other, the other hand, I think my personality has taken the fall for that for a long time. And there's a responsibility that God has given us to stand up and stop caring so much about what people think and stop caring about if they, if you say no, you know what? Some people are not going to like you. That's the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Whenever in my my life to Jesus. Every single time God called me to a new place, there were people that literally would come to me and try to stop me. They would tell me what I was doing was wrong. They would try to convince me that this other thing was what God had for me. They would come literally against me. And some people were just really mean about it, honestly. And it hurt and it was hard, but I refused. I refused. I refused. I was like, no, this is God. This is God. This is God. I remember there was this one time even, and, and it's, this is nothing against anyone, but basically the head pastor at Sanctuary wanted us to plant a church, which sounded like a great idea, right? But I knew that I knew it was a ministry. I, I knew that God was calling us to do a ministry, not a church plant. And so it, we talked about it and talked about it. And Nathan was like, well, so we ended up doing this church plant assessment. And in the church plant assessment, I just pretty much told them, like, this is not what we're called. I just knew right? I just knew. And I stood my ground. I stood my ground. I stood my ground. And it was great. I got to learn a lot about me and my husband. Apparently we work well together. Um, so that's great. Um, I learned a lot in the church plant assessment because God will work everything together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. But it was almost like interesting to watch because at the end of the assessment, it's insane, by the way, if you ever want to plant a church, it's a lot. You like answer all these questions and they, you go in this room and they like, they just ask you so many questions. Anyway, I was exhausted after. And then they meet back up weeks later and they pretty much tell you everything that they learned about you. And they were super gracious and awesome people, right? But at the end, they came back to us and they were like, yeah, we just really feel like you're not called to plant a church. You're called to do a ministry. And I was like, see, I told you. I was like, but in that moment, I felt like I was the only one standing. I felt like it was the only one. But here's the deal is that God gave me, God gave me the vision he hadn't given Nathan the vision yet. He hadn't given Eric the vision yet. He hadn't given all those people in that room the vision yet. And that's something we need to listen to. Or that's something we need to understand is that sometimes God gives us the vision before he gives other people the vision. So how can we expect them to be on board with us? How can we expect them to be cheering us on and for us when they don't even know because God hasn't even spoken to them? We're going to turn over. We're good. We're going to turn over to Genesis somewhere. 
Did I even put it on my notes? Oh, good. I changed this message today completely, just to let you know. <laughs> Genesis 37. I want to read about someone that learned how to stand up when everyone he knew was against him. We're going to start verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, he was 17 years old, guys, 17 years old was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their fathers a bad report about him. Now Israel, which is Jacob, remember his name was changed to Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a, an ornate robe for him. So you've probably heard of the coat of many colors. So his dad makes this amazing robe for him. When his brothers saw that, that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and count, could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you tend to reign over us? So first off, sometimes there's just some wisdom in here. Like when I first had the vision, I was telling everyone, and I probably should have stopped and not told everyone, because again, they don't understand, right? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because, his dream, because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Verse 10, when he told his father as well, listen to this part, as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. All right, so here he literally has his whole family against him. He has this dream from God about them bowing down. He can't see the end. Remember the people in the Bible, they don't know the end. I think sometimes we forget, like they can't just jump to the end and read the story like we can, but he has this goal. He has this vision. He has this dream from God and he begins to tell them and they all just shut him down, shut him down, shut him down, shut him down. In that moment, Joseph had a decision to made, make. And he could have easily come back and said, you know what, I, I must have been, it must have been the lasagna last night, guys. I, you know what, I was wrong. I love you guys. He could have changed what people thought of him, right? He, he could have people pleased. He could have won the approval of his family and probably made things right. But he chose to follow God. And guess what? It wasn't overnight that this happened. He went, they sold him out and told their dad he was dead. I mean, stuff, go and finish reading the story. It's crazy. But at the end, guess what? They bowed down to him because God is good and faithful and God gave him a vision. But Joseph had to decide if he was going to follow God or if he was going to follow people. If he was going to follow God, if he was going to give everything up and, and follow God, or if he was going to listen to what other people thought about him, to listen to all the naysayers, to listen to the people that came against him, to listen to the people that aren't forced. But it's hard when we're in it, isn't it? It is so hard when we're in it and it hurts so bad. Like I have had many, many nights of just tears. And yes, I cry. I have a feeling. It's a big joke here that I don't have feelings. I actually have a feeling. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me. I do have feelings. I do cry. But I try not to let. 
one emotion. I try not to be ruled by my one emotion, but I do. But whenever people come against me and betray me, especially when all I'm trying to do is follow God, all I'm trying to do is do what God has told me to do. It is hard. And it is heartbreaking. And if that has happened to you, I want to apologize to you. As a pastor, I want to apologize to you. That is not okay. And I am so sorry. And, and I hope that you can see that, that that's not God's heart for you. And that that's not okay. But it is difficult when we're in the middle of it. But we need to learn to just persevere through. And you know what's so cool is on the other side, when we say yes to Jesus, when everybody's coming against us and we're still following him, we're still picking up our cross and following Jesus, God will bring other people that encourage you and that lift you up and that are there for you. When other people have betrayed you and turned their back and talked bad about you, God will bring people to walk with you through the storm. So we need to stop putting our trust in people and put our trust back in Jesus. Amen.